Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. For those that are joining us, you're catching us. We're going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And uh, the book of Acts, it's been called the Acts of the Apostles, is what, if your Bible might say that at the beginning of it, the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And uh, you have the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those cover about 30 years of history. About 30 years of Jesus' earthly life and ministry there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Really, the bulk of it is his three-year earthly ministry, and about half of the Gospels, um, they cover like the last week or so of Christ's earthly life and ministry. And then Acts, it's, it's a, it's, I guess, the sequel. It's the continuation. As G, It starts with Jesus ascending back into heaven, and then it's the disciples, the apostles, those early Christians that Christ had invested in, and uh, it's, it's those that he had trained and, and, and had come into faith in Christ. And as he goes back to heaven, it's the history of the early church. It's what those believers did, and it covers also about 30 years. And so when you're reading through Acts, what you're getting is about a generation or so, a generation or two, of the early history of the church. And we've made our way through more than two-thirds of the book now. And uh, we're in Acts 21. We finished up last Sunday, Acts 20. And, uh, and so we're going to continue on in this passage. I did want to take just a moment before we jump into it. And uh, to make mention, I saw Jane Keller here. We've been praying for Bob. Bob's been in the hospital now, had uh, that, that open heart, had heart surgery and the different things there. And he's supposed to come home tomorrow. So you be in prayer for Bob and for Jane there. And uh, then also, I'm not sure if Stan and Marva are here, but I don't always make mention of anniversaries. And uh, I, one of them may be out of state or out of country, but, um, but they celebrate today 51 years of marriage. And then this week, Stan and Judy, sitting here on the second row, celebrate 57 years of marriage. And so let's congratulate them. 57 years. I'm sorry. It's not 57. I don't know. It's, it's 64 years. She got married when she was three years old. And uh, 64, I don't know why I said 57, 64 years of marriage. And uh, congratulations, uh, Stan and Judy. Congratulations, Judy. You put up a stand for 64 years. That's amazing, isn't it, Stan? And you guys are an awesome couple. We love you. And uh, also today, Javen has a birthday today, and Rick Fisher today, and some others this week. But uh, I think it's worth taking a little time out of the service when somebody gets to 51 or 64 years to make mention of that. And so I wanted to do that. This morning's message is entitled, Choose Your Heart. I've seen a few different times on social media over the last few months a meme or a graphic that, that has had this statement of choose your heart and the idea that life is full of some things, decisions that are hard, hard decisions. And sometimes we get the idea that we have an easy decision or a hard decision, but often the decision that seems easy up front ends up being hard on the back end. And it gives ideas like telling the truth can be hard, living a lie is hard. Choose your heart. Being financially disciplined is hard. Being in debt is hard. Choose your heart. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. 
choose your heart. Saying no to temptation is hard. Giving in to temptation is also hard in the long run. What does the Bible say? The way of transgressors is hard. Missing out on the pleasure of sinful things can be hard, but sinful addictions are also hard. I could keep going, but I think you get the idea. This idea that often we're faced with decisions where the reality is, either way, there's going to be some difficult paths to walk, and the question is, which path will we choose? The maybe hard right path or the hard wrong path, even when it seems easy up front. I was reminded of this meme as I studied this week's passage in Acts chapter number 21. You see, because in our passage this morning, Paul is going to have to choose between the hard reality of disappointing his co-laborers, those that he had led to Christ, those that loved him dearly, those that had given, he had given his life to. He's going to have to face the hard decision of, of disappointing them or disobeying God's leading in his life. He's going to face the tough decision of choosing what is easier in the moment or what is right in the long run. Will he do what man thinks he should do, or will he do what God wants him to do? Will he choose the path that will bring him temporary safety, or will he trust God with his ultimate protection? We're going to see in this passage, will he choose comfort or obedience? Look, if you will, by way of introduction, I want you to see why he has to make this decision. Acts in chapter number 19, verse number 21. Acts chapter 19, verse 21. We were here a few weeks ago. The Bible says, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to, to go where, church? To go to, to go where? Jerusalem. I often say on Sunday mornings, if you don't have a copy of God's word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Often in my preaching, we cover 15, 20, 25 verses. And, and if there's any power in anything that I say today, it's not in my ideas, my public speaking abilities. It's in the word of God. And so I'd encourage you to follow along. If you're following along on an app or a tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version. I, I just think you'll get more if you see it for yourself. He, he determined, he was purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. We understand uh, that Paul had gone around to the Gentile churches taking up an offering, and he wanted to take that offering back to be a blessing to the Jerusalem church, the church at Jerusalem. And also, there were some problems in the church at Jerusalem. Some legalists had risen up, and he wanted to go and, and kind of deal with that as well. Skip over, if you will, the next chapter, chapter 20, verse number 22. Let's read chapter 20, verse number 22 aloud. Acts 20, verse 22 aloud. Ready? Begin. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. I go bound in the Spirit unto where, church? Jerusalem. He, he has purposed, God has led, I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. And here's what he said. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. Look at verse 23. Here's what I do know. Except or save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. I just know this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be tough. Following God is not going to be easy. By the way, this idea that following God should always make your life easier is kind of a Western, modern, American construct. That's not a biblical thought. Following God does not always make our lives easier. 
In fact, Jesus said it this way, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And so he says, I don't know what it's going to be, but I know it's going to be hard. Now look at the last verse where we were last Sunday, just by way of context. Paul is traveling to Jerusalem. Verse number 38, uh, chapter, Acts chapter 20, verse 38, where we finished off last week. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. So if we can throw that map up that we had up here of our missionary journey. Uh, just a reminder of where we're at. Paul, last, where we just finished in, in the end of Acts 20, Miletus, kind of right in the middle of the map. You see that dot Miletus there with the purple dotted lines? That's Paul's boating, his, his ship, where he's sailing. That's his path. He's going back to Jerusalem. And I can't see Jerusalem because of this thing, but I think it's down there somewhere. There it is right there, Jerusalem. And so he's going to be going by boat, but he's up in Miletus. Last week we saw he had called the Ephesian elders and we looked at his farewell address. The last time he's going to talk to them, these people that he had led to Christ, that he invested in, that he had trained, they were the spiritual leaders at the church at Ephesus where we get our book, the, the letter to the Ephesians. And he's there and he, and he pours his heart out to them. And as he's pouring his heart out to them, uh, they, they come and they weep and they accompany him to the ship. Now, I want us to pick up, we're going to look at the first 17 verses of Acts chapter number 21. We're going to pick up our passage here. I want you to see number one, Paul's travels here, the first nine verses. Would you follow along, please? Acts 21, verse number one. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Kos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patera, and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand. You can see on that map we had earlier, they, they went on the, on the other side of the, the island there, and sailed into Syria and landed at, where did they land there, church? At Tyre. For there the ship was to unlade her burden. So you can throw that map back up if you will. And, and uh, Paul is, he's, he's giving us basically his travel log. Those first few verses is just his travels. From Miletus, he goes by, by Rhodes. They, they stop there on the left-hand side, Cyprus. They land at Tyre. Here's an interesting thought, not my message. I almost preached a message on this this morning. He decided not to, but, but interesting. The only reason, it says in verse number four, they were in Tyre. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. In Tyre, they found disciples. Do you know why there were disciples there? Very likely because of the Jews that had scattered from Jerusalem under Paul's persecution. There was a church there because Paul had persecuted the church in Jerusalem. A great reminder that your, your past does not always have to haunt you. Now Paul is here in this place, and there are believers here. It would have been a little interesting, but the only reason they're saved is, is really because of Paul's life before salvation. Now, look at verse number, uh, number five, please. And when, he had accomplished, when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, verse 8, and we entered into the house of who, church? Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. One of the seven, meaning the first seven deacons of the early church. Who also was one of the seven? Stephen. Who was the first martyr of the Christian faith? Stephen. Who put Stephen to death? Paul. So now Paul, some 10, 20 years later, is coming. And again, probably an interesting meeting. One of my close associates is in heaven because of your wicked 
pronouncements, but now the gospel unites them. Our past doesn't always have to haunt us. God can redeem our past. God can give us victory over our past. This, this one Philip could have been very hurt by what Paul did, but we see them, verse 9, it says, the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So we see here Paul's travels from Miletus to Caesarea. That's really all the first nine verses are. And if nothing else, this passage makes me thankful for modern travel methods. When you read Paul's travel log, what we just read, nine verses, probably took him about 15 or 20 days. You and I could do it today in probably three or four hours. I'm thankful I live in 2021. They were by, by walking for days, probably with animals and carriages and, and boat on a sailboat, but they get here. Now we, so we see Paul's travel. Secondly, by way of introduction, we see advice from Paul's friends. What advice was Paul given? So we saw he was heading to Jerusalem. What advice was Paul given about his desire to head back to Jerusalem to help the church and to preach Christ? Look at verse 10, please. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So a prophet comes down in Caesarea, and, and much like the Old Testament prophets that would often use uh, they would often use visual aids. They would use an object lesson. He takes Paul's own girdle, probably kind of like the, the belt that he would use to tie his robe. And he takes his own, this, this long rope, and he comes, he takes Paul's, this, and, he, and he ties himself up by his hands and by his feet. He ties himself up, and, and he says to him, he says, here's what's going to happen. That, that, whoever, that whoever owns this girdle, when he gets to Jerusalem, is going to be bound like this. Well, of course, Paul owned that. Here's the reality. What he was saying was right. This is what's going to happen. We're going to see it in the coming weeks. Paul is going to end up in prison. And we're, we're working on all of our headset mics. Do I need to use a handheld? I'm sorry. It's a little distracting. All this sound system is new. We're figuring it all out. And uh, just to be honest, pirates running all over the stage at VBS probably didn't help the, uh, the settings a little bit. So we'll go to the handheld. Am I, am I on here? All right, we'll go to this. And, uh, and, and so he says, here's the thing. What he told Paul was not incorrect. Bonds and afflictions did abide, Paul, but here's what I want you to see. This is what the believers, the disciples, didn't understand. They took it to mean, well, if it's gonna be hard, then Paul shouldn't do it. Does that sound familiar to any of us? Well, God wants me happy, right? So if I'm not happy, then it must not be God's will. Well, God wants no pain in my life, right? So if it's if it's painful, I, I probably shouldn't do it. Look at verse number 12. And when we, meaning even the writer of Acts, Luke, Dr. Luke, and, and the other companions, when we heard these things, they heard that pain was waiting for Paul. When we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. What happened? They heard, that's going to be hard. Paul, not a good idea. I kind of said that this idea that the Christian life should be easy is a, a, a Western American construct, but I guess not. I guess it's a human nature thing. Because 2,000 years ago, they were saying the exact same thing. 
Paul, it's going to be hard. And so they took that to mean that the prophet said it was going to be hard, that it must be bad. And again, may I just say, doing what is hard is not always bad, is not always in the long run hurtful to us. In verse 4, we saw it. It said, finding disciples in Tyre there, we tarried seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. That, that can sound like Paul was given godly wisdom and he ignored it. I believe as you study the chapters in context, as Paul was guided by the Spirit, that Paul's, and the way that Paul's actions are described, I don't believe he did wrong by going to Jerusalem. I believe that, that the, these well-meaning Christians understood that it was going to be hard, and so they told him, don't do it. The Holy Ghost prescribed, or, or I'm sorry, predicted that it would be hard, the Holy Ghost did not prohibit Paul from doing what was hard. There's a difference. They interpreted the Holy Ghost's prediction that it would be hard to mean you shouldn't do it. There's a difference between that. And I believe the Spirit of God was showing them what waited for Paul, and they interpreted that to mean he shouldn't go. We have a missionary who's a close friend of mine. He lives right now with his wife and his four beautiful children in Baghdad, Iraq. He has had, and, and that's, that is an un, undoubtedly a dangerous place for a, a, an American Christian to live. And I've talked with him, and he has had many well-meaning Christians, including some of his closest mentors, that have basically told him, you're putting your family in unnecessary danger, and basically have told him, you're wasting your life. You could do so much more here in America. He's a very gifted man, a great speaker, great writer, designer, does all kinds of things. And basically have told him that you're wasting your life doing this. I, I, I don't want to be too hard on those, those friends and mentors that makes sense humanly what they're saying. But as he's talked to me, he said, Ryan, I, I can't get over the fact that God has made it un, uh, indescribably clear to my wife and to me, this is where he wants us. This is where we're supposed to be, sharing the gospel among the Muslim people there. For, a, for years they were in Amman, Jordan. Now they're in Baghdad, Iraq. May I just stop and say this? Be careful about discerning the will of God for others based on circumstances. Be careful about discerning the will of God for others based on what seems easiest or most comfortable or most enjoyable. Well, God wants me happy, so if I'm not happy, it's not his will. False. Now we get to Paul's choice, the final five verses we'll look at. Look at what Paul says in verses 13 through 17. Then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? Basically, Paul says, why are you guys making this so hard on me? I'm trying to live for God. And when he was in, in Miletus with the Ephesian elders, what did they do? They hugged his neck. They sobbed. Don't leave. Don't go. We're going to miss you. When he got to Tyre, they prayed. And maybe some of them prayed. I don't know. But maybe they, because they weren't happy. That he, they didn't think he should go to Jerusalem. Maybe they prayed some things like, Lord, would you open Paul's eyes and show him maybe that he's not supposed to go there. And, and, these, and now Luke and, and his companions that have been with him, he said, why, why are you make, what, what, what do you mean by this? Why are you making it so hard on me? Verse 13, look what he says. For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't care if there's pain. I'm ready to do whatever God's called me to do. Verse 14. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. That could be taken two ways. Maybe that was an encouraging thing. Well, we pray that God's best is done in your life. It could also mean they just said, well, it's in God's hands now. It just says we stopped. We realize, you ever get in an argument with somebody like that and you realize we're not, I'm not getting through here. Some of you say, yes, I live with someone like that. My wife would raise her hand. She lives with someone like that. 
Can I ever win an argument? When you're right, you will, but that hasn't happened yet. And so, just kidding. But, but they basically say, we stopped. We ceased and said, what, it's, it's in God's hands now. Verse number 15. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one nation of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. I see here Paul's choice. Paul's choice. Paul says, why are you making this so hard for me? I'm ready to do what God wants me to do, no matter what it costs me. Can you and I say that this morning? I'm ready to do whatever God, whatever God wants me to do, no matter what it costs me. Paul was saying, I'm ready to choose hard over easy. In the moment, what would have been easier? Staying with a bunch of people that loved him and that he loved with no threat of imprisonment or going to Jerusalem where the Holy Ghost through a prophet and through the Holy Ghost in Paul's own spirit had predicted you're going to be imprisoned. What, what decision seemed easier? In the moment, I would say not going to Jerusalem was the easier decision, but Paul said, I'm ready to choose hard over easy. I'm ready to choose service over safety. I'm ready to choose God over man. The gospel over my gain, preaching over prosperity, obedience over comfort, pleasing God over popularity. Those that Paul held most dear strongly tried to discourage him from what he clearly believed that God had called him to do. And missionary history is filled with men like this, where people have tried to discourage them from doing what God's called them to do. The church history is filled with stories like this, and yet those people had to choose hard over easy. Jim Elliott, who decided to give his life, some of you have heard of him, to the Aka Indians in Ecuador, had people that told him he was too gifted to consider such a thing. Here's what he said. He said, consider the call from the throne above, go ye. Consider the call from those around, come over and help us. And even the call from the damned souls below, send Lazarus to my brothers that they may not come not to this place. Impelled then, Jim Elliot said, by these voices, I dare not stay home while these Indians perish. So what if the well-fed church in the homeland needs stirring? They have the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, and a whole lot more, he said. Their condemnation is written on their bank books and in the dust of their Bible covers. American believers have sold their lives to the service of mammon, he said. And God has his rightful way of dealing with those who succumb to the spirit of Laodicea. Eliot and four others gave their lives in that ministry to the Aka Indians. They came and they were killed by those they went to give the life to. And some would say, what a waste. And I don't have time to tell it, but if you follow the story, God used the, 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 the seed of their spilt blood to bring a harvest of souls through Jim's wife and others that came and evangelized those people. David Livingston, who went into the heart of Africa, wrote a letter to the London Missionary Society. So powerfully com convinced am I that it is the will of the Lord that I should go to Africa. I will go no matter who opposes me. Later, after countless afflictions, he still wouldn't return home. Even though others, like Henry Stanley, tried to persuade him to do so, Livingston told Stanley, God has called me to Africa and I am staying here. William Carey, the father of modern missions, rose up in Europe and said to a group of ministers, I am going 
He, he said to them, I'm going to go to India and make the gospel known there. A minister in the audience rebuked him. Sit down, young man. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen in India, he will do it without consulting you or me. But God wouldn't be, I'm sorry, but Kerry wouldn't be persuaded and praise God he wouldn't. He went and God used him to reach countless souls for Christ. Discouraged by even another minister, don't follow God. Adoniram Judson, a Baptist missionary who had a desire to go to Burma, Burma, present day Myanmar. A closed country, they said. Against the plea of others, he took his new wife into the heart of Burma. He labored for 38 years, suffering through cholera, malaria, dysentery, unknown miseries that would claim the lives of his first wife, his second wife, as well as seven of his 13 children and numerous colleagues. As a result of his resolve, today there are close to 4,000 Baptist congregations in the middle of Buddhist Burma. Over half a million believers are represented in those congregations. A man that said, I'm choosing hard over easy. What's right over what feels good. C.T. Studd, a wealthy Englishman, came to faith in Christ and soon thereafter sensed God's call to go to China. His family brought in a Christian worker to dissuade him. Studd said, let's ask God then. I don't want to be pigheaded and go out there of my own accord. I just want to do God's will. He sought God's will and decided that he should indeed go. Then later, when he was 50 years old, he resolved that he should spend the rest of his life in Sudan, where others again urged him to do otherwise. In the next 20 years, he founded the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade through his work in Africa, which has planted gospel seeds all over Africa, Asia, and South America. And the last story I tell, John Patton served for 10 years as the pastor of a church in Glasgow, Scotland. But God began to burden his heart for the New Hebrides Islands. These Pacific Islands filled with cannibalistic peoples with no knowledge of the gospel. 20 years earlier, two missionaries had been cannibalized there. Patton received opposition from everywhere. The church offered him more money to stay home. When one older man protested, Patton famously said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, he said, my res resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Patton wouldn't be persuaded, and soon he would be putting the Lord's Supper elements into the hands of former cannibals that had repented and trusted in Jesus. Christian history is filled with people that God had led them to do something hard or painful and they were dissuaded by even those well-intentioned around them. We need to learn to choose our hard parents. We must teach our children this truth early on and we must model this truth in our lives. We must teach our children that choosing hard now almost always makes life better in the future. Years later, after Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, what did he say? Years later, when he wrote a letter back to Timothy, his son in the faith, he said, I finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me, and not to me only, but to all them that love is appearing. What did he say? Yes, it was hard going to Jerusalem. I didn't like being bound and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked. Those were some hard things. But what did he say? When you choose hard now, it almost always makes life better 
better in the future. And what did Paul say? Even if it doesn't get better here, there's a better day coming. There's a crown of righteousness because I chose to follow God. We need, we need to teach our children that choosing hard now almost always makes life better in the future. And we need to teach them that choosing easy now almost always makes life harder in the future. In school, in relationships, in finances, in spiritual matters, in dating, in business, in ministry, in, in sports, choosing easy now. A team that chooses easy every day in practice is going to have it really hard come game day. A team that chooses hard every day in practice is going to have it much easier come game day. This is all throughout life. We, we, need to, we need to model that and show her everything isn't just instant gratification. Whatever I feel like I do, whatever makes me happy today I do, that is a path for, for heartache, for regret. Some of you maybe have heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment in 1972. Stanford professor Walter Mischel, uh, he, he did this study. They brought in a group of children where kids were offered one small reward if they didn't wait, and two small rewards if they did wait a certain period of time. He gave the kids a choice. Do you want a marshmallow or a pretzel? I don't know what kid would pick a pretzel over a marshmallow, but, but he gave, in case they didn't like marshmallows, he said, which one would you like? And he told them, all right, now I'm going to leave this here, and I'm going to leave the room. He didn't tell them for how long. I'm going to leave the room, and, and if I come back and you haven't eaten the marshmallow, you get another one. But if you decide to eat the marshmallow, that's all you get. And he did this. He left the room for about 15 minutes. They've done other things like this in studies. And even there's some stuff I've seen like on America's Funniest Home Videos where, where parents do stuff like this to tempt their kids with Skittles on the counter or something. But they did this and, and, and they found that kids that, that waited made the hard decision up front to get the reward on the back end. And that study from 1972 and, the, and follow-up studies with those, the researchers found that children who were able to wait longer for the preferred rewards tended to have better life outcomes as measured by SAT scores, educational attainment, body mass index, and other life measures. What do we learn? We can suffer, it's been said, we can suffer the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Again, this is why it's good to allow some things in our children's lives to be difficult to challenge them, to overcome, challenge them to overcome hardships, to work hard to attain. Don't take away everything in their life that's hard. Don't give them everything they want right when they want it. We, we've got to learn, and, and sometimes people call parents that are kind of overprotective, helicopter parents. I've, I've talked about, maybe I read it somewhere, bulldozer parents. We want to go out in front of them and, and, and bulldoze every obstacle in front of them. But the problem is it's often those obstacles that where we grow the most. It's those hardships, those difficult times, those times of suffering, those times of pain, those times of tears where God grows us the most. And as parents, because we want our kids to have a better life, we equate better with easy, but the reality is better is not always easy. I'm sorry, easy is not always better. And so a quote that I like as God's given to my wife and me, five kids, is prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child. Give them the strength to walk the path God's given them. Don't try to clear the path for them. And, and that doesn't mean we make our, our kids' lives miserable. What it does mean is while we have opportunity, give them opportunities to grow, to be challenged, to fail, to succeed. Give them those things. They must learn. We've got to teach our kids, choose right over easy. Choose spiritual over carnal. Choose sacrifice and service over safety. Choose love over lust. Choose God over man. Choose scripture over culture. Choose long-term consequences over short-term pleasures. 
We think sometimes that the, the greatest thing, the worst thing in the world is living a hard life. May I suggest to you there's something worse than living a hard life, and that is trying to live a safe, easy life. As one of my college professors who's now in heaven told me when I was an 18-year-old college freshman, he said, ships are safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are built for. That quote has stuck with me now, however long that's been, 20-some years ago. Ships are safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are built for. And what do we see in Paul's life here? Guys, I'm ready to be bound and even die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because it's hard doesn't, doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm willing to do what it takes. It seems so often, myself included, we value safety, comfort, and ease above just about everything else. And here we see Paul choosing that which seemed hard. I close with this. I want you to see who was Paul's example. Paul's example in this story. Does this story of Paul, Paul being told by friends not to go to Jerusalem to share the good news that salvation is available to all, not to go there because hard times awaited him, does this story remind you of anyone was there an example that Paul might have had to look to, an example that Paul may have been able to consider as he chose whether or not to do what was easier and pleasing to those around him or to do what was right and pleasing to God? Is there anyone you can think of who also steadfast, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem? Someone about whom it was prophesied that bonds and afflictions and pains would be waiting for him in Jerusalem. Anyone who, like Paul here, had friends for this example, namely Peter in Matthew 16, who tried to persuade him to avoid such pain. Anyone that we know that, who was welcomed gladly as he entered into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. Paul was welcomed gladly, received gladly at first, only to be quickly turned on, lied about, and imprisoned all for seeking to bring the good news of eternal life to everyone in the city. Someone who was willing to die in Jerusalem, as Paul just said he was, so that salvation could come to all. Yes, this chapter tracks a very similar course to Jesus' final days here on earth. Much like his Savior before him, Paul followed in the footsteps of Jesus and chose the hard path over the easy path. 2,000 years ago, Jesus chose the hard road to Calvary when he could have called 10,000 angels to set him free. The creator allowed his creation to crucify him on a cross of wood made from trees that he created so that he could pay for every one of your sins and mine. He chose the hard so that we would have the opportunity to choose him and have eternal life. And you know what the writer of Hebrews says when you're faced with hard times in life? You know what it says? Maybe Paul was thinking about, Paul talked about the fellowship of his sufferings. When Paul was getting ready to suffer in Jerusalem, maybe Paul was looking to the example of Christ. If he can walk that hard road for me, I can walk this hard road for him. It's what the writer of Hebrews said, when you're facing some hard roads, what should you do? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12, wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Sin seems easy, doesn't it? It's so easy to fall into it. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us choose the hard over the easy, the hard walk of righteousness over the easy life of sin. When I say easy, it's easy to give into it. Looking, here's what he says, looking unto who, church? 
Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what it said? Jesus, when given two options, the joy that was on the other side of the cross chose hard for the good that was coming later. Choosing hard almost always brings about good later. And then here's what it says. Verse, verse number 13 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Here's what it says. When you have a choice to make, consider him who chose hard. Because if not, it'll be too hard for you to do it, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. When you're faced with that, am I gonna take the hard road or the easy road? Am I gonna do what's right or what feels good? Am I gonna, am I gonna live for Christ or am I gonna go with culture? What am I going to do when I'm faced with these? When you're struggling with that, remember all that Christ did for you. And may I close with these thoughts. Choosing Jesus may be hard for some in here. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal savior. And you might be thinking, well, if I choose Jesus here are all the things I have to give up. Here's how my life's gonna get harder. You don't understand what that's gonna do with my family relationships. You don't know what my parents are gonna think about that or how my wife or my husband or this friend or my, the response might be, the, the ways that certain relationships in my life may change, the fallout that might come if I choose a person, personal relationship with Christ. And those, that, that path may be hard for you to consider. But may I say this? Choosing an eternity without Christ is infinitely harder. Eternity in hell is much harder than any challenges or struggles that you may encounter here on earth should you choose Jesus. So this morning I say, choose your heart. What will you choose? The seemingly hard decision to follow Christ today or the eternally hard decision of living and dying without him? Jesus chose tears so that you and I could have joy for all eternity. He chose death so that you could have life. He endured shame so that you could know forgiveness. He was treated mercilessly so that you could have mercy. He paid for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. He chose you. The question this morning is, will you choose him? No matter how hard you think it might be, I don't know what that will all look like. He did the hard work to choose you. The Bible talks about he has set his love on us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He chose us. And then he says, he asks, will you choose me? But you don't know how hard that's gonna be. The reality in life is there are usually hard consequences or some hardships or some struggles no matter which path we take. The question is, Will we choose the right hard, the right path? Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. It's, it's hardship waiting for you. But God's leading me there. And because of all that Paul did, the gospel continued to flourish. And you and I have received the gospel here from the seeds that were planted some 2,000 years ago on Paul's missionary journeys and his defenses of the faith. And we have scripture from letters that he wrote. I'm glad Paul chose to do what was right over what maybe in the moment seemed easy. And I'm glad, I'm so glad that Jesus, what did he say in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
let this cup pass from me. This is, it's, it, this is, this is too much. I don't want to die here in the garden. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm so glad that Jesus chose the hard road to Calvary so that you and I could know the eternal life that is only found in him. He chose you. Will you choose him? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.